You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject that I've got coming up for you, it's the one and only Lucas Mann from the US deathcore outfit Rings of Satin. The reason for the conversation is to promote the outfit's June 2019 Australia and New Zealand tour. I'll read out some dates. All in June. The 19th, which is a Wednesday in Melbourne. Thursday the 20th in Canberra. Friday the 21st in Newcastle. Saturday the 22nd in Sydney. Monday the 24th in Brisbane. I hopefully will be at that show. Across the ditch, there are two dates. Wednesday the 26th in Wellington. Yes, that's right. Thursday the 27th in Auckland. And that's it. That's the end of the tour. I really enjoyed having this conversation with Lucas and I really want to thank him for his frankness and the open way in which he answered many of my questions. So let's have a listen to what the man has to say. Here we go. Hey Lucas, it's Andrew Mackay-Smith calling, mate. How are you going? Hi, uh, good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks mate. uh, John just texted me before and... uh, let me know that you'd very kindly extended your hours of operation in regards to interviews to accommodate little old me talking to you here from one of my uh, study rooms at uni. So uh, I really appreciate it, mate. I've got to tell you, I've been looking Oh, of course. For... Yeah. Well, look, I've got to tell you, mate, I've been a big fan of what you've been doing for at least two years, ever since I heard Ultu Walla. Okay, because I'm in my 40s. And what your music has been able to allow me to do is get into deathcore and even metalcore, I'd say. You know, if it wasn't for that album, I don't think I'd have an appreciation for the genre as much as I do these days because I'm an old school death metal hit, you see. And I was never, um, if you like, too biased toward death metal that I wasn't going to listen to anything else. But I've got to say, yours and Miles' playing on that album, they really opened the floodgates for me. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I also felt like that um, album reached out to a like new set of uh, bands uh, with the more melodic style that we went for. <clears throat> well, to my ears, mate, and as I say, I'm an old school death metalhead. It didn't sound all that melodic. It was brutal. It was fast. It was vicious. And it's still an album that I love putting on. And there's that the last song on it, because I listen to, I, I swim a lot, you see, and I've got these headphones that I can listen to on Music Underwater. They're by a company called Finnis. And I put that album on, and whenever the last cut comes on, oh, you, cool. you did a video for it. I can't remember the name of it now off the top of my head, sorry. But, man, when that song comes on, man, I've got to give it my best when I'm swimming. Let me tell you, it's crushing. Yeah, it's either uh, Margita or Inadequate. Those were two videos. I think it's Inadequate. Um, yeah, yeah, Inadequate. Yeah. Those, uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's got some some really heavy parts in it for sure. Yeah. So, mate, you, you haven't done a lot of touring of late, and I'm so glad that you've chosen us as the recipient of your most ambitious set of live performances that I think you've done in years. It's just unreal, man. So. Why did you pick Australia to tour? Did you get an offer too good that you just couldn't refuse, or have you got a special connection with us? Um, we've actually been trying to get down to Australia a while. The band's been around for 10 years, and uh, we constantly get hit up by Australian fans saying, hey, you guys should come down here, you guys should come down here. And we're finally coming down, and we're super excited to do it for the first time. Um yeah, we've, we've shipped out a ton of merch to fans down there in the past and over the years, so it'll be cool to actually meet all of these people in person. 
Yeah, that it will be, mate. But it's, uh, mate, just, you know, you, you're aware of this, okay? But people are so grateful that you're actually out there and performing live. I hope you know that. And I hope interviewers before me, because I understand you've done a whole bloody bunch of them before getting to me, mate. But people are really appreciative of the fact that you are coming here. Because we know touring hasn't been something that you've done in a little bit. And the fact that we get to hear you play all of your wonderful cuts. So I guess my question for you after saying all of that is, what does the set list look like? Because to your point, you've been going for nine or ten years and you've got two or three brilliant albums to draw material from. So how do you cut that down to the mate, you know, the 15 or 20 odd songs that you need to perform for an audience? Um, <clears throat> well, the headliner set that we're playing in Australia has some of the fan favorites from across the past four of our albums that we've released. And um, they're mainly uh, songs that we play that get a really good crowd reaction, like whether there be uh, a really nice instrumental part or a really heavy breakdown or, or a chant that people like are really reacted to and scream back. Um, those are the songs we want to play for crowd reaction or, or songs that we have done music videos for in the past. Um, just, just, uh, pretty much the greatest hits across our albums that we've released is what we'll be playing. And, um, yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Cool. And, and have you, I think that so that support bands have been selected, but are you familiar with some of the bands that you'll be playing with when you come down? Uh, I'm not too familiar yet. I was actually really interested um, uh, to see them play live. Um, I haven't had too much time to actually check out their their music online. So, who is it? Who's the who's the support artist? Uh, I think one of them is left to the wolves or something. You know, I don't I don't even know to be honest. I just know that they're uh, big in Australia. Yeah, it's a, I think we must have per head per capita the biggest death core and metal core scene in the world, I'd say, because just about every fan underneath the age of 25 seems to be dressed up in a, in a death core or metal core t-shirt whenever I certainly get out, which isn't all that often these days, given I've got children. Um, but yeah, mate, it's, it doesn't surprise me, mate, that you've been getting people reaching out to you because I, I noticed also too, mate, that when the tour was announced, man, I probably saw more comments underneath that announcement that I've seen underneath another band for, mate, outside of when Aussie pulled out of uh, download. So I hope you know that, man. A lot of people, man, they're really appreciative. Of, as I've already said a few times, but I've got to say it again. It's, man, that, that's, that's, that's a special thing, man, and that doesn't happen all the time. That's, yeah, there's a lot of positivity and support of us coming there, so it's, uh, it's something that I'm really looking forward to. I think the shows are going to be great, and, um, yeah, they're going to be crazy. <clears throat> what about actually I'll tell you another way that you've influenced me man so I, uh, I I worked out that it was a fellow called Mark Cooper who you were working with for all of your wonderful artwork so I reached out to him myself and found his Facebook page which led me to his actual web store and I bought one of his uh, his images if you like which is now my podcast imagery scars and guitars so if it wasn't for you guys working with him I certainly wouldn't have known him therefore I couldn't have used his artwork for mine for my venture either mate so there you go Mark Cooper is an amazing artist. We've worked with him for almost every single one of our albums, minus the first one. <clears throat> and uh, he's done shirt designs for us in the past. He, uh, his art, I think, represents our music more than any other artist out there because it's just the, the level of detail that he goes into is just um, 
above and beyond. You have to, you could zoom in forever and find new things. And I think that it represents our music in the way that uh, it's just so fast and technical. And there's always something new to re-listen to that you might have missed, you know, so it, it we work pretty well together. And <clears throat> even just with the concepts, he really enjoys, um, you know, some of the things that we touch upon. He's uh, into a lot of aliens and conspiracies himself, so he, mm. he likes it. So, <clears throat> Yeah, the, the very limited interactions that I've had with him just with buying the print and then just some of the things that he's liked and commented on um, afterwards. He seems like a nice fella too, which always helps, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. All the people we work with are, are quite nice and receptive. Mm. Mate, I had a chat to Miles about two years ago before the release of Ultuola. And I know he's an, he's an exceptional guitarist, as a, as a you mate. But um, that relationship obviously ran its course, mate. So was it was it more of a uh, was it a creative split between you guys that forced him to go into a different direction, or inspired him to go in a different direction? Or can you talk about the reasons that Miles not part of the project anymore? Uh, I can't really touch on that too much. All I could say is that um, bringing Joel back as an old sort of original guitarist and bringing Yo from Japan in um, was the best direction for the band at the time. It not only allowed us to bring a better live show and performance than what we were giving, but um, everybody worked a lot better uh, in terms of dynamic for the band and moving forward creatively and otherwise in personal terms. Fair enough, mate. Yeah. And the other thing I noticed too, because I do follow you uh, personally on Facebook, actually, you put a post up about a month or two back. I can't remember when, but you, you, you didn't allude to anything. You spoke directly to some of the issues that you were facing with the heavy metal community. Now, I've noticed a little bit of that myself because I, I don't look like a metalhead. I'm not, I don't look like someone like yourself, for example. You couldn't look at me and say that I was into heavy metal because I just look like a 40-year-old dad, to be honest with you. But it's something that I've talked a lot about on an individual basis. I've talked about the community in heavy metal. Heavy metal, and I call everything under, like your music, under the broader banner of heavy metal, so you know what I'm talking about here. But I think there needs to be a greater sense of community and spirit. And and I think for someone like yourself who's definitely experienced what we call in Australia the, the tall poppy syndrome, maybe you've heard about it over there, but the tall poppy syndrome and you've been targeted and you've had some issues. But... Of course, you, you, you spoke directly to a lot of the shit that you've had to deal with. And, and that's, I guess that's my point earlier too, mate. I just want to thank you for continuing to create music in light of all of that. But do you think it's impossible to answer it definitively, so I understand that, mate. But given someone like myself who you've never met before, never spoken to before, the impact you've had on me, not just as, a, as an artist but as a musician, because I also play bass guitar. So I can't say you've influenced me as a bass guitar because you don't really have one in your music, but it's more about your approach to music. But do you think that after it's all said and done and you've set the record straight online, do you think that some of that shit will die down now or have you sort of, you don't, you probably don't care either, which is probably the best way to look at it. But have you noticed that some of that online chatter has died down? Um, yeah, I mean, when I, uh, when I took a hiatus from touring, there was a lot of things that people said, obviously a lot of it was um, rumors and hate and made up stuff. And, it's uh i was going through a lot and it's not something that i wanted to speak about at the time because it was very personal but since i made the announcement um uh i hadn't been touring for about almost two years now i'd say uh since i made that announcement um and 
I brought all the truth out onto the table and uh, was very honest with everybody what happened. I, it was just overwhelming positivity and support, and it actually really um, motivated me to, you know, start playing a lot more guitar and uh, get excited about coming up onto the stage again. And hopefully, you know, me coming forward in that sort of way allows other um, people in the music industry, musicians, crew members, managers, or even just anybody in general to, um, you know, come forward to, and maybe there will be more resources for mental health available for people like that, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yep. I agree, mate. I think I, I, I have a policy with my socials and I don't get it. Thank God I don't get it. But if I do, occasionally I do, but I don't ever respond to it. Just you're in a vastly different position than I am being a, being, uh, internationally well-known and renowned. But I simply do not respond to any trolling or any comments that I think are snarky. And I've actually basically got a more or less a hard and fast rule that if someone's using a pseudonym, I don't interact with them at all. Do you have to take any of those sort of rules moving forward on board? You know, those are pretty good rules because a lot of people hide behind anonymous names online and it it really emboldens them, you know what I mean, to say whatever they want and to have no consequences, especially, like you said, when you're a a recognized act, responding to these people will only hurt you. Um, So it's debate, it is a troll, and you do have to take that into consideration to a certain extent, you know, um, when dealing uh with people publicly publicly and um you know even just online because everything you say to anybody could just be screenshotted and posted everywhere so it's like you know it's um it's a it's a weird culture we live in nowadays that it's just a call-out culture and everybody's out for the (laughs) next outrage and the next gotcha and it's uh it can be stressful, but um, that's part of the reason why I didn't talk about anything until I was ready. You know, it was really important for the fans to understand and for me to be at a time where everything was over and I was ready to come back. And that was the perfect time to talk about it, to explain why I'm coming back and why I've been gone. And um, I think the fans resonated and appreciated that I even did that, you know. <clears throat> we, we did. And I can tell you, I did, mate. It was good to hear from you. It was good to hear that, you know, that I'm a father, you see, so I'm a parent. I've got daughters age five and four. So I do get worried about these sort of things, particularly with artists, because we as musicians are generally sensitive souls. You know, it's our nature. We can't help it. And the internet can be an absolutely brutal place. I, I recently spoke to Par from Sabaton, the bassist, and he's also one of the co-managers of the band. And that got picked up by Blabbermouth. No worries about that because it was very positive stuff that he's talking about and I want to help them support and promote the band. Now, the comments underneath, though, you can imagine what they were, mate. You can imagine the sort of comments that they were. I think one of the comments literally, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was, I'd rather see something really bad happen to my mother and for her to take methamphetamines than listen to Sabaton. And I don't know whether, I can't remember if whether that was an anonymous profile or not, but people throw these things out like as if they have no consequence, as if they don't hurt feelings. And, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will ever hurt me. Bullshit. They do. And people aren't responsible enough with what they put out there. And the other thing, too, is if you're, if, if eventually, I believe we'll eventually get to a space where we don't have a lot of this stuff. I don't know how it can be done. I, I don't have the answers there. I've listened to Joe Rogan a lot and, and the way he's hypothesized that we could go about publishing certain details to 
of people when you when you post anything or having two versions of the net where one's very public and one's very private. I don't know what the answers are, but people need to take stock. And I think people within the heavy metal community especially, now I don't spend any time on hip-hop boards or other genres. I only spend time looking at the metal and hard rock and, and rock and roll boards. But everybody underneath the broader banner of hard rock, heavy metal, like I was saying before, we need to check ourselves and we need to be supportive of our artists, particularly artists like yourself, because if we're not, You'll just pack up your bags and not and stop making music, or just start making music for yourself and the friends around you, and not share that wonderful gift that you've got with the world. And that's the message that I'd like for people to pick up about this sort of things, even talking to you, mate. Because I, I thought it would, I th- I thought for a moment, or for for a long period of time, that we might not hear from you again. And I thought, what a tragedy that is, and all because people on the internet and people who listen to people on the internet are deciding to, as I say, the tall puppy thing. But it's just not fair, and it's unreasonable. So. It's a bit of a long monologue there from me, mate. But uh, yeah, it's. Do you have any answers to what we can do? I know I'm talking to you as a musician, and I'm an interviewer here talking to a musician. But mate, do you have any answers out there? As somebody who's been a victim of some of these things, is what we can do to put more protection in place for people like yourself? Well, <clears throat> I do, and uh, a lot, a lot of what happened to me stems from. Um, like blog spots and websites and uh, <clears throat> the reason why there was like a mom mentality and snowball uh, into all of this uh, stuff that manifested itself in real life and became particularly hostile or dangerous for me is because people behind these websites realized that more and more traffic would come to their sites and they would get clicks and they would get ad revenue and they would get paid off of dragging my name through the mud, whether I did anything or not. And when, when you don't hold media outlets accountable, that's when things become really dangerous because it becomes sort of like um, uh, instead of innocent until proven guilty, it's guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like sort of like a social, it's like, like a social, uh, social media trial. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's like... Yeah everybody gets out of hand and wants to uh, boycott uh, somebody or like erase them from the internet. And everybody gets like so worked up about something that might not even be true all stems from somebody making money somewhere or benefiting somehow. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's an issue just because like, even if you go the legal route, you know, cease and desist, uh, suing hmm. stuff like that. It, it could, the legal system is so slow. It takes years to even work. So it's, uh, I, I feel there needs to be some sort of accountability for, um, media to help out anybody who's affected like this, because yeah. you find that the media just wants to fuel the flames on any side that you're looking at, you know, whether you agree with it or not, or, it's just uh, it's just chaos, and the only people benefiting from it are are them. And it's it's affected me. It's affected me in um, real life. And um, you know, there are so many rumors and things said about me that nobody even knows what's real anymore. Yeah. People don't even know if I exist. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I'm like this entity now. It's 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 crazy. Um, but I I hope that it doesn't happen to anybody else as bad as it has happened to me but um you know like you said nobody has the answer right now 
But what's kept you strong through it all, mate? Because, you know, you've been away for two years or thereabouts ever since the release of Ultuola. Is there something in particular that you can share that gave you strength through that period? Um, It's... I, w- I wish I wish I th- that there was something that I could point to, but in in my mind, it's just a person to person basis. Everybody handles things differently, and um, I think that if I hadn't taken the hiatus for myself, it would have been very hard for me to continue. Like like I said in my statement, it was it is my project, and if I didn't take this time for myself and allow my my own band to tour without me, I probably just would have ended it for however long I needed Mm. and that wouldn't have been good for anybody. It wouldn't have been good for the fans. It wouldn't have been good for the members and the band who, you know, that's a part of their income. Um, I tried to be as, you know, selfless about it as I could be, but it's, um, yeah, it's, I guess, I guess just, um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, maybe I just maybe a mother. Maybe kept, a mother just I, I raised you strong. Keeping man. a level head. Yeah. <laughs> keeping keeping a level head and being logical and rational about the situation uh, is probably the greatest piece of advice. You know, because at, at the end of the day, like as if if you let everything get to you emotionally and um, you let it really affect you then, you know, of course it is going to affect you, but there has to be a time where you're able to, you know, come back from it. Mm. So it takes a while sometimes. It took me two years, but um, I think that uh, everything will be good moving forward, especially because of the support and positivity that I saw. It was, it was overwhelming in the comments on that post. It was very very good to see, you know, that people hadn't forgot and they resonated with the message because yeah, mental health is so important. And, um, a lot of people never know what happens behind the scenes with people. No, they don't, they don't have a goddamn clue. Others. Yeah, I know. I often say that because uh, my wife can get road, road rage, road rage. And I say to her, you know what, if they've cut you off, you don't know, they might've just found out that their wife or husband is cheating on them this morning or that their child's got in terminal disease of some kind you never know so it's always best to give people a wide berth until they come at you like what you've experienced so i think that's the only time when you've got a god-given right to defend yourself in whatever way you feel is appropriate at the time if it's just regular everyday stuff just deal with it you know it's never that bad and i know for me mate i wake up i wake up every morning and i go to sleep every night and i wake up every morning and the one thing that's always on my mind is the health of my children that's it and that i've got money in the bank so those two things without that I don't know. I mean, I, I, God help anything. God, there, but for the grace of God, anything happened to my kids, and I hope nothing ever does. That's not a regular life experiences and growth opportunities. But, mate, you just never know. You just never know. So I say that prayer every day, and I think, you know what, whilst I've got those two things, you know, I'm pretty bloody set. I get my Jack Daniels, and I sit down, and I watch your videos or whatever I might do, and I think, my life's pretty goddamn good right now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, those are a lot of good points you made about never knowing what's happening in another person's life, like on the freeway. And I, I really resonate with that because, yeah, you know, you, people 
that's like with a lot of people on tour, you know, you, you might've caught them on a bad day. You know, they, some of these bands tour seven months out of the year and, you know, just just being a regular human being every day, you're not, you're not happy every day. And it's kind of like, you're always in um, the spotlight and it's, it's very, it's very hard to keep up appearances uh, a lot, a lot of the time, not saying it's all just fabricated, but you know, um, and as far as you said about having the, you know, um, the priorities straight, you know, as long as you have your kids and some money in the bank, things, things will pan out and be okay. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, there are certain things that as long as I have, then I know that, you know, things will be okay. It's just, <clears throat> it's just hard because one of those things was the band. So mm. it was an interesting time. Mm. <laughs> it is, mate. It is, mate. So yeah, are you planning on, releasing new music in the in the nearer future or are you just getting through some more touring and then you'll worry about that later um so we got a new album coming out in 2019 um got lots of stuff for it yeah lots of guests lord marco's gonna be on it uh he's the guest drummer charles caswell from buried alive uh i did some previous work with him amazing writer yo onatan from japan Incredible Shredder. He's doing guest solo as well on there. And Dan Watson from Enterprise Earth. Uh, he's got a vocal slot, courtesy of E1 Records. Um, first album I'm going to be doing nine-string guitars on, uh, adding some more thickness to the already fast and crazy stuff. Um, can't wait for it to be released, to be honest. It's later in 2019. And... Um, like I said, there's not going to be any of the new stuff <clears throat> on Australia when we come down, but hopefully we can come back down again and make it more of a regular thing because it is long overdue and um, play some of that new stuff after the release. <clears throat> you guys have a very, you, I mean, you're the band, right? So you have a very strong merch game, man. Congratulations on that. I don't know why bands don't really invest more time in developing really interesting artwork like what you've done with Mark Cooper and putting it onto flags and T-shirts and all of the array of merch that you've got there. But, mate, if you, have you, how do you think about merch these days? Because obviously it's a, it's a breadwinner for you and the band. It's one of the key strategies for producing an income, if you like. But do you, do you really think deeply about it like the guys in Aborted do? And they've got, I think they had a popcorn container, branded popcorn container. I think they might have even had a blanket and tracksuit pants. Are you, you going to step up and do a lot of that sort of stuff as well? Uh, we've done blankets before, uh, all over with the album art. We do hats, we do banners, we do all sorts of all over print designs from shirts, hoodies, etc. We we got it all, man. And the it, like you like you said, it's it is a breadwinner, and more bands should be playing the merch game uh, a little bit more seriously because you know if you just have a shirt with like one color it's next to a shirt with like a thousand colors it's you know like if you want to do touring for more of a career purpose you need to be making money because you're going to be spending that much more time on the road so unless you have uh, ways to passively make money outside of touring you're going to want your merch to be as good as possible until you could um, play enough shows and get enough headcounts to make your guarantee like feasible to where merch doesn't even matter anymore. But that takes at least 10 years. 
to do, especially uh, nowadays. Um, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we try to make our merch as crazy as possible, like I said earlier, um, to really reflect all of the craziness going on in our music. We want, when you hear our music, to be so crazy that you um, have to re-listen to it again, or when you see the shirt, you have to buy it. And um, because you haven't seen or heard anything else like it, that's sort of the whole thing. And and plus, like, it's it's aliens. Everybody loves aliens. <laughs> so everyone's curious about them. It's a worldwide uh, sort of sort of interest yeah <clears throat> that they are mate yeah i've got some mates that are beyond convinced that aliens exist they think that they run governments and that they turn into reptiles and all this sort of business you know and um you know like the alex jones brigade who have all of these really interesting theories that they're absolutely convinced aren't theories they're facts so i've got some mates to talk about that stuff i've got to say man I'm, I'm a bit more of a skeptic not that i don't believe that they're out there and i truly do believe that they're out there but i just think if i was an alien that had the ability to transdimensionally travel i don't think i'd find this all that interesting to be honest with you outside of being a laboratory experiment and uh there's a guy called marshall summers i think his name is i think i'm gonna get it wrong here but i hope i haven't got it wrong but he um he reckons that there's a, a direct intervention to take over the leadership of the earth by an alien group uh he doesn't talk about which alien race that would be but mm. of course i think he goes into the the theory that a lot of people talk about where greys are more um they're not, they're not humanoid. They're like a robot type or an android style setup. And they're, they're controlled from, from far, far away, far longer, far, much further away than we could probably put into words or even in our, in our mathematics because of the transdimensional nature of their travel. But it's interesting listening to people's theories. I just want a bit more evidence and someone saying, believe me, it's true, or someone saying that they're a, an, abduct, an abductee survivor. Because I think, it's a, I think unfortunately what's happened with a lot of that is it's a very good way to get attention as well. Um, and there might be a lot of people that have mental illness out there that are claiming that their mental illness has manifested. Well, my words here, I think a lot of their mental illness manifests as alien visitation. This is like a lot of people who believe in ghosts and spirits and beyond. Of course we do, but I just don't think that they interact with us as two-dimensionally as what we'd like to believe. But do you have any thoughts on what I've just said there? Have you got your own view on things? Mm, I mean, there's... There's so many thoughts. Like I've heard about the um, the alien greys being like some sort of humanoid, um, either biological or mechanical, sort of uh, remote controlled thing. Yeah. You know, uh, I've also heard that, um, like you said, why would aliens be so interested on like a primitive race and hang around us so much um, with so many sightings and stuff like that? it seems a little arrogant of the human race to assume that we're being watched, you know, um, that we're special or something. But uh, an idea behind that is that um, like aliens, there's one theory that like aliens might be more invested in humans because uh, there was this one conspiracy where alien greys are um, from some sort of different timeline and um, in their timeline, uh, Earth was destroyed uh, by ourselves through nuclear bombs, and the survivors had to um, go through a nuclear winter, which blocked out the sun and lost all the pigment. Eyes got bigger, so we were able to see in the dark. But we were so smart, and we found out a way to travel back on, in time to uh, right the wrongs and uh, stop like global conflicts to, to sort of like 
save the human race. So it's like, there's a theory that alien greys are actually us, but just in the future, oh, a I've different timeline. That, yeah. So that's why we they might be invested. Yeah, I, I have heard. I heard that it's a Hungarian. Lots of stuff to talk about. There's there's conspiracy theories all. <laughs> oh yeah, it's. I think most of them are conspiracy theories. That's a thing you'd just like to. And then there was somebody recently who went on Joe Rogan's podcast. This lady who'd written a few books who kept on constantly referring to Joe to tell him to read her book or something. Did you listen to that Joe Rogan podcast where she's talking about what really went on at Area Fifty One? I didn't. I, I I did watch the Joe Rogan podcast with Elon Musk, of course. Uh, I watched a few other ones as well, but I, I didn't see that one. Yeah, that was, I mean, you have to take everything at face value, okay? So assuming what she's saying, she believes, and that's fair enough if she believes what she's saying, but she's talking about them being um, the so-called aliens that they found there were actually children with Down syndrome and with other physical impairments and mental impairments, if you like, that were, um, I don't know how else to describe it, reorganized physically to look like these aliens, and that's what they actually were, and the reason a lot of people don't talk about it, and of course I'm paraphrasing here, of course, but the reason people don't talk about it is because they're ashamed of what they did. Not necessarily that there's a massive cover-up, people are just ashamed that they use children in that way, and to be honest, man, out of all the theories that I've heard about that one, that one sounds probably the most credible because it's a fairly relatable answer. And and I just, uh, yeah, I mean, the Area 51 thing, mm. it's, it's just been too... I mean, it's a bit like the JFK assassination thing. I mean, how many more eyes and investigative journalists and that sort of thing, how many more people need to look into this thing before we get to the bottom of it? The chances of us getting to the bottom of it are probably nil, and we'll never really know what actually happened there. But the truth is always far less interesting than what we want to believe it is, I've found, with a lot of these things. Yeah, um... Yeah, that's the thing. It's like a lot of the times the truth is beyond what we could imagine it would be because if they're giving the public such an advanced device as like smartphones with 5G and I'm like, what what does the government have like secretively, you know, because just a couple of, you know, just like a decade ago that that seemed impossible, just like wireless internet or maybe more than a decade ago, but you know, the internet didn't even exist. Like technology's gotten so far so fast. So you can only imagine what we don't know that people do or uh, that these agencies have. So I, I definitely agree, you know. Um, yeah. It's, the rabbit hole goes on forever, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It never ends. Mate, I better let you go. I really appreciate you staying up late yeah. to um, to have a conversation with me. And my, I guess my final question would be, mate, we've, we've talked about a lot of things here. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that interview subject was Lucas Mann from the US Deathcore outfit Rings of Saturn. Thank you so much for listening.